chapter 17, verses 40 through 51. If you'll turn with me. 1 Samuel 17, verses 40 through 51. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and in, and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give you, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have denied, or defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcasses to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in his hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I apologize to Ron. I have a card here that I didn't give to him. It's a thank you card, so let me read that. It's from uh, Sister Barbara. She says, to our sweet white oak family, thank you for the delicious Thanksgiving meal. Each dish was lovingly prepared and made my day special. I enjoyed the meal very much. It was a thoughtful and generous thing for you to do. Uh, of course, Sister Barbara Northcutt wrote that. Uh, Debbie uh, is here, and they came over, uh, I think it was yesterday, and dropped this off. They didn't come in. They put it in between the... the storm door and the door because they are quarantining so Jerry can come up for Christmas. And so I'm, I'm glad he's able to do that. But, of course, Jerry has some significant health problems, so he's going to have to be careful as well. But uh, at any rate, she kind of combined a card for us and, and here for the, the church. So uh, she, uh, she wanted to make sure that, that the congregation here was very thankful and that was such a wonderful thing that that, uh, uh, that we did. Our members, uh, Brother Carl and, and several of the ladies were up here. I think he, he fixed the turkey and then Mary and Effie and Sandra, just a, a multitude of folks uh, uh, contributed to that. And, and we made the uh, 
the day of some folks who needed uh, some encouragement. So we're thankful for that. Also, one other thing. We have a multitude of wonderful folks here at, at White Oak. We have a lot of wonderful families. And one of those wonderful families is uh, Sister Ruby. Sister Ruby is, is a fine Christian lady. And we appreciate her and Michael Jr. And I was speaking with her this morning. And I thought of the words Paul said. He said, "Mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, and rejoice with those who rejoice." Well, Sister Ruby's having a little bit of a difficult time right now, and uh, you see, Michael Jr. is not with her today, and uh, they had a little little dust up this morning, and it has really hurt her feelings. And uh, so, we're going to go to God in prayer for her. And for the family, now everything's going to be fine. I told Sister Ruby, everything's okay. That happens from time to time. You know, sometimes our children uh, don't behave exactly the way we'd like for them to behave. But he is a good young man. And we appreciate and love Michael Jr. And we love Ruby. But we do not want her feelings to be hurt. And we do not want her to be worrying about this. And so we need to encourage her. And we're going to go to God in prayer on her behalf and on behalf of her family. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we are so thankful unto Thee for all the many beautiful and wonderful things You've given to us. We're thankful for each other, the wonderful fellowship and the love that we have for one another. Father, we are uh, thankful for the Douglas family. We we love Sister Ruby. We love Michael, uh, Michael Jr. We love uh, uh, Michael Sr. We pray that You will bless them, bless their health, Pray that uh, Sister Ruby can be comforted as this thing will, will pass and uh, everything's going to be fine. And we understand that. We understand that you'll bless those who are, who are striving and living and working for you. But at this time, we ask that whatever we might be able to do, that we do that to help comfort our, loved, uh, our beloved sister, that she can uh, uh, be happy and, and not worry about this any longer. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we are very familiar with the account of David and Goliath. I've spoke on uh, at least once. I've, I've preached on this passage. Uh, when we go back and, and we think about it, we, we recall Goliath. He was a godless pagan who had no regard. Reminds me of the uh, of the. The wicked judge, he, he regarded neither God nor man. And then we have the young man David who was a, a man, in fact, after God's own heart. He was faithful, he was brave and courageous, and he was a man who relied on God to deliver him from any situation. Not that he knew that he would be delivered from every situation, but he relied on God that if it was within his will, that he would take care of the problem. I want us to think about what happened on that day. David stood against Goliath. The, the army of God prevailed against the enemies of God. And we have a lot of things that we can make application to our lives today. Now I want us to look at it perhaps in a little different way than what we normally do. We're not going to focus on the bravery and the uh, godliness of David and the the selfishness and the fearfulness of Saul, though those are some very wonderful points that we need to discuss from time to time. 
But this morning, I want us to go about it perhaps a little differently. I want us to uh, think of David for what he was at that time. You know, David was just simply a little shepherd boy. I say little. He was a man, but he was a young man. He's still living at the home of his father. Uh, when we look at David in this situation, he didn't appear to be some kind of a budding warrior that, that as far as those surrounding him were concerned, that would see him being a, a mighty king one day. Even his father overlooked him when Samuel came to anoint the new king of Israel. You recall when uh, Samuel asked him after he had looked at the, the other brothers, started with the oldest one and went on down through Matthew, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 through 13. He asked uh, David's father, he said, are these all the sons you have? Of course, I'm paraphrasing. But he said, well, I've got the boy who's out there in the she- uh, uh, watching the, the, uh, the sheep. You know, almost like you want to see him too. He's just a young boy. He's a shepherd. He's not some kind of a great man who could be king one day. I mean, that's that, that was the sentiment behind it, wasn't it? So he was an overlooked young man. And instead of focusing on that greatness and fearfulness of Saul, let's look at that. I want us to look at this passage for a moment, and I want us to notice some qualities that everyone can have if they want to have them. And as we look at David, we're going to see some things in him. And we we do look at David, and we see an extraordinary man. And I guess he is an extraordinary man. But he's an extraordinary man because he chose to be one. And that's a choice anybody can make. Now, we're not going to be fighting physical giants like Goliath, but we need to possess these qualities when we do stand against the giant obstacles in this life if we want to prevail. Now, the title of the sermon this morning is The People God Uses. Simply, The People God Uses. And really, we're going to examine, in the context of David, the people who God uses. And any person can be used by God in His service if they want to be used by God. Imagine the impact of a group of folks who have solely dedicated themselves and wholly consecrated themselves to God, the impact that would have on the world. Just imagine. Well, here's the good news. We don't have to imagine. We're told about it. Notice Acts 17, beginning with verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a multitude... And of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now, in the the context of this statement, they mean that in a negative way. They've just messed up everything. Nothing is as it ought to be anymore because 
I think at one time he was referred to as a pestilent fellow. But really, who, who messed up everything? Who assaulted the city? Who assaulted Jason's house? Who went in, went in and dragged those men out of their house for no reason whatsoever? Well, it was these unbelieving Jews. But nonetheless, a handful of folks changed everything. Now, they said they turned the world upside down, meaning that in a bad connotation. But they did turn the world upside down in a good way. So just think if we had a whole lot of folks throughout the world that were wholly consecrated, solely dedicated to God, the things that they can do. I want us to notice the people God used. And first, what I want us to notice is we're going to see that God uses common people. God uses common people. Now, here's something for us to think about. You know this, all people are ordinary. All people are ordinary. Some just do not allow their being ordinary to stand in front of them and obeying God. But all folks are ordinary. We all have abilities. We can all do things that we put our minds to do. And notice David's status among his own family. We mentioned it just a moment ago. He was just a shepherd. Just a lowly shepherd. An immature little boy who only wanted to go and see a fight. Notice what Eliab said. 1 Samuel seventeen twenty-eight. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Now David was asking questions. He wanted to know what's going on with this uh, Philistine. Now he had also heard that Saul offered a reward, and he wanted to make sure he understood what the reward was as well. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He demeaned even the... the uh, the terminology that he used to make fun of him. Those few sheep in the wilderness, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Just wanted to see a fight. Immature little boy. He was just a shepherd. Now get back into the wilderness and watch that handful of sheep that your daddy told you to take care of. You see, using common ordinary people, though, wasn't something new for God, was it, at that time? What about Noah? Noah was just a common man. Abraham was just a common man. Moses, Naaman's servant girl, he used 12 common men, Jesus did, to be his apostles. He can use any of us if we allow him to use us. He can use homemakers. Think about it. Use a homemaker? We need to read Proverbs 31. He can use a homemaker. He can use factory workers. He can use teachers. He can use people in the technology world. He can use janitors or mechanics or any other person who wants to be of service to him. He can use them. Just common, ordinary folks. Now, he can use common, ordinary people, but here's something that all those folks have in common. If they're going to be used, they're all obedient. Just ordinary, obedient folks who are willing to do what God asked them to do. They are, in fact, willing to do some of the most mundane tasks that are out there. Something that is overlooked, 
something no one considers, but to God they are great tasks that need to be done. Notice what David later wrote in Psalm 84.10. He said, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. A doorkeeper? Someone who opens and closes the door? They see you coming, they open the door for you. You don't even pay attention to those folks most of the time, do you? Now, I don't have a whole lot of doors open for me, but I've seen it on TV. Okay? And, and what I have noticed is n- nobody pays much attention to those folks who open the door. They might say hello, but they're just servants, right? They're not really anybody. Guess who was described as a doorkeeper? Turn with me to Matthew 16, beginning with verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, but the ones who fulfill the common, ordinary, mundane tasks, they have to be obedient. They have to be obedient. They have to be willing to fulfill those tasks. And they're able to if they'll just do it. But here's something else. God can't trust just anybody to those common, ordinary, mundane tasks. You have to be obedient. You have to be a special kind of person. Now, you're ordinary, but you still have to be special. Jesus warned. Let's turn over to Matthew 23, verse 13. Still talking about doorkeepers. He said, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Here it is. For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. They shut the door. God couldn't trust them to be the doorkeepers. He couldn't trust them to have the keys of the kingdom because they shut the door. They didn't want anyone to go in. You see, that was just a common, mundane Frivolous tasks, and they liked the way it was. They didn't want to be doorkeepers. That's just a little too common and ordinary for those folks, and they certainly didn't want to be obedient. You see, God uses common, ordinary people, but they must be obedient. But here's something else about these common folks. They have to be committed. That's our second point. If God is going to use people, and He uses a multitude of people, just common people, they have to be committed. They have to be committed. Committed people will not allow obstacles to stand in their way. Isn't that what we see in David? If we're going to look at this shepherd boy, this young shepherd who's immature, who only came down to the battle to see a fight, who's only watching a few sheep out in the wilderness. But he was committed, wasn't he? Because all that wasn't true. He was committed. He wasn't going to allow a bunch of obstacles to stand in his way. And listen, he had a big obstacle standing in his way. He had Goliath over nine feet tall. His spear handle was like a weaver's beam. Can you imagine the shoe size on that guy? 
You could use it for a boat, I'm sure. But he did not have his eye on the problem, did he? He had his eye on the problem solver. Why was that possible? Well, that was possible because he had a relationship with God. Anyone who reads through the Psalms can see that relationship, can't they? They can see the the love and the emotion poured out before God. Even when David was wrong, he knew he was wrong, and he was begging and pleading God to forgive him, we see the emotion and the hurt on his part for hurting God. In breaking His laws. Paul described it this way. Notice Acts 13, 22. And when he had removed him, talking of Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king. He ra- uh, To whom also he gave testimony and said, Now this is God giving testimony of this shepherd boy. He said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Listen, he was an ordinary fellow. He was just a common fellow. He was a shepherd. But God chose him. But here's what had to happen. David had to be committed. We see that commitment when he did not allow the obstacles of life to interfere with his being faithful to God. Now, let's step away from Goliath for just a moment. We get on down through the the years, and David makes a terrible mistake. David makes the worst mistake, in my opinion, that we have recorded about him. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, He murders her husband. He lies to everyone. And then Nathan comes to him. And we remember the parable that Nathan told about the the man and the young ewe lamb and how the rich fellow who had all these other sheep stole his sheep and put it on the table for supper. David was so mad, he said, that man will give his life for that. And that's when he said, Thou art the man. You had, and remember what God told him. I gave you everything, and if you thought it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. But you took this man's wife, and you killed him, and you could have had anything you wanted, but you decided to do that. He did not allow that obstacle to stop him from doing what he needed to do. Psalm 51, that doesn't bring tears to your eyes. Something's wrong with that. He admitted his wrong. He pleaded with God to forgive him. But here's the good news. Anyone can be a man or a woman after God's own heart. All we have to do is choose to do it. We're just common people, but we have to be committed. We have to be committed to God. And to overcome obstacles, we have to rely upon God. We have to lean upon God. David had that characteristic, and he voiced it in his confidence of God. You remember what he said? You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of God. 
and I will kill you. I will feed your hide to the birds of the air. And he did just that, didn't he? He had confidence in God. He didn't rely upon the weapons and the resources Saul tried to give him. He he set him up, I'm sure, with, with as fine a suit of armor in the nation of Israel. He said, I can't use these. I haven't tried these. He didn't rely upon that, did he? He stuck with what had always helped him and worked for him in his life, faith in God. He stuck with that. He went out and he was successful. Here's what we have to keep in mind. Any battle that we fight and win in this life, we fight it and we win it because God gave us the victory. doesn't matter what it was. doesn't matter what it is. And if we're going to be people God uses, we need to lean on Him. We need to lean upon His resources. We need to lean upon His strength. And He'll give us what we need. Now that doesn't mean we sit around waiting on the victory, does it? That doesn't mean that we we sit around waiting on God to give us what we want. You know what David had to bring to the fight? He came in the name of the Lord. He had to bring his own slingshot. He brought his own stones. In fact, do you know how many he picked? Well, he chose five, didn't he? Five smooth stones from the brook. Why in the world would he do that? Or Was he going to rely on God or not? Well, what if he missed? What if he missed? He needed some other ammunition, didn't he? He needed to be able to reach into his bag and get another stone and sling it out. That doesn't mean he didn't rely on God. That that meant he did his part. That's what relying on God means. We do our part and God will bless us in our doing our part. Committed people rely upon God to overcome obstacles and they will also rely upon God to overcome opposition. David's whole life up until he became king and really his whole life, he had to face opposition, didn't he? Not one person in that camp that we're told of thought David could go out and defeat Goliath. Everyone opposed him. His brother opposed him. The king opposed him. This man is a, you're just a youth and he's a warrior from his youth. You can't go out and beat him. Oh, you're just a, a an insignificant, immature shepherd boy who came down here to want to see a fight. Go back to those few sheep in the wilderness. Do what you're supposed to do. Opposition. But David was determined. He was determined. He was committed to defeat Goliath. Goliath couldn't brought enough weapons with him. He didn't have a sword big enough. He didn't have a spear long enough. But here, listen to this. We better learn this and we better keep it in our minds. Anyone who will walk with God will always face opposition in this life. Period. What about Enoch? Enoch was a great man. Enoch walked with God Genesis 5, beginning with verse 22, we learn about Enoch, and it says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. And he begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were 365 years, 
And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. But how do we know he faced opposition in this life? How do we know that Enoch did not just have a very easy life? Because after all, I mean, we know times were, were smooth and wonderful at that period, right? I mean, it was just a thousand years before the flood came. Well, let's listen to what Paul said. Notice 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul tells us that Enoch faced opposition. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Enoch suffered persecution. But he walked with God and he was such a man after God's own heart that God simply brought him to paradise. I'm just going to bring you on. A man that works that hard, that is that good, that doesn't mean he was perfect. But he strove to be the kind of person God wanted him to be. When Methuselah was born to Enoch, less than a thousand years before God had had all of the world he could stand and destroyed it. He didn't live through a peaceful time. He lived in a terrible time. You see, committed people do not walk away from God when they have the chance. David had a lot of opportunity to leave when he had gone down to that camp, hadn't he? He took some supplies to his brothers. He took a gift to the captain. He found out what was going on. He's looking out. He can see that Philistine. And do you think David was a little afraid? Sure, he had to have been. But he overcame obstacles and opposition. Sometimes we have to overcome ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we have to overcome ourselves, and he did that. He went out to face that man. But he didn't stop because he wanted to bring honor and glory to God. And he made up his mind. God would come first. Now, listen, God would come first no matter what. No matter what. There is not enough trouble in the world to not let God come first. That's the example. That's the example. That doesn't take ordinary people long enough to come up with some reasons to not do what they ought to do when it comes to God. But ordinary people that want to be faithful will never allow their ordinariness to come in between them and God. Right? David didn't do it. He was just an ordinary guy. Noah didn't do it. Moses didn't do it. The little servant girl that belonged to Naaman didn't do it. The apostles didn't allow being ordinary to stop them from doing the things they need to do. You know, Naaman's servant girl could have just allowed her master to die of leprosy. After all, he deserved it, didn't he? He kidnapped her, took her away from her home and her parents, everything that she knew, but she wanted to bring honor and glory to God. She said, there's a prophet of God. And I'll tell you where he is. Abraham, or excuse me, Noah, he had hundreds of years to step away from God. Hundreds of years. And he didn't do it. I think Moses, when I think of him, he wanted to, didn't he? He wanted to step away from God, but I think he, he and, and uh, Noah and Abraham, all those folks, I think they were just like Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah 20, verse 9, when he said, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Moses wanted to stop. He had every excuse in the book. I can't speak well. I'll send your brother. He'll speak for you. Well, I don't know who to tell him sent me. Tell him I am sent you. He wanted to stop, but he didn't allow just being an ordinary shepherd out in the wilderness to prevent him from serving God. Remember, all people are common. All people are common. They just don't allow their being common to interfere with being faithful. They serve God because they are committed to God. Now here's something else that they all have in common. All of them are courageous. That's our third and our final point. All of them are courageous. God's courageous people do not allow the risks that come with being faithful to stop them from being faithful. You know David was willing to risk the possibility of death? Someone says, well, how, how do you know that? Well, was David guaranteed a win? Was David guaranteed a victory? Did David somehow think because I'm going to stand up for God, that I'm guaranteed to go out and kill this giant? Where, Where do we read that? We don't read that anywhere. What if God's plan was not to give David victory over Goliath? What if he wanted to to punish the nation for being unfaithful to him? You know what would have happened? He would have died the same way that Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael would have died if God had chosen not to save them. Listen to their reply when Nebuchadnezzar threatened them with the fiery furnace. You're going to bow down, you're going to worship this image when the music starts, or you're going to be burned alive. They said, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. From the burning, fiery furnace. Daniel 3.17 And He will deliver us out of thine hand. O King, but if not, be it known unto thee that we will not serve thy God, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We might say, period. Well, how do we... Sounds like they understood that they would be saved. He said, and He will. He will save us. He will deliver us. Well, you know, God delivers people in different ways. He might deliver you from death, and He might deliver you through death. Either way, they were going to be delivered. They understood that. They didn't know they were going to live in this life. They were courageous. The risks did not affect them. What about Peter and the other apostles? We get over to Acts chapter 5. They were preaching in the name of Jesus. They were told to stop. They were beaten. They said, don't you ever preach in the name of Jesus again. We get down to verse 29 and and Peter and the other apostles say, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, brethren, they had just been beaten. How did they know it was going to stop there? I mean, think of James. James was killed before this thing even really got up and running. 
So they didn't know they were going to be saved. Out of all the apostles, there were 14 of them all together. John was the only one that lived and died what appears to be of natural causes. Everyone else died a martyr. They weren't promised life in the face of risk. Courageous people face risks. They also accept the results of their action, whether it's viewed as good or bad in this life. David was willing to listen to the taunts. He was willing to be derided. He was mocked. But to him, the reward of obedience far outweighed not being faithful to God, not listening to the, to the mockery. Who, who likes being mocked in this world? Who likes being made fun of because you believe in God? I've been made fun of before for believing in God. I didn't enjoy it. Kind of angered me a little bit. Nobody likes that. But what are we going to do? Are we going to stop believing in God or are we going to hide our Christianity because someone mocks us? The greatest example, I think, is Christ. We think of Him. Notice what His brothers wrongly accused Him of. See, David was wrongly accused. Oh, you just came down here to see a fight. You're proud. You're insolent. Notice what happened or what Jesus' brothers said. John 7, beginning of verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe him. Listen, go to Judea. Show your works there. We know that's why you're doing it, so everybody will know you. Wrongfully accused. Wrongfully accused. You just want people to talk about you. See how great you are, right? Like David, Jesus' brother accused him of doing something for personal gain. Now notice this. Matthew 27, beginning verse 38. Even while he hung on the cross, he accepted the results of obeying the Father in heaven. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross, likewise, also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Can you imagine being on that cross? Now, look what he'd already gone through. It's, a, it's amazing that he was still alive. And then you have the, the, the chief priests and you have the scribes and the Pharisees. You have the Roman soldiers. They're wagging their heads. They're pointing at him. They're saying, oh yeah, he believes in God. See if you'll have him now. Come on down, then we'll believe you. As the man is dying, when I think of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, 
I think of what would have happened is that it had been me on the cross. I'll show you something. See, that's what Satan wanted him to do, wasn't it? He endured the results of being faithful because being faithful was far greater. He didn't destroy them as they deserved to be destroyed. He didn't call down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroy everyone around there, delivering uh, some of them through death. No, he just took it. He just took it. He was so amazing. He was so amazing. He chose to be born a common, ordinary person in this world. But he did not allow his being common and ordinary. He was a craftsman. He built things. He did not allow that to stop him from letting God use him to further the cause of heaven. He was just common, ordinary. As far as people go, we read Isaiah 53, there was nothing extraordinary about Jesus in his appearance. But here's what makes common people and ordinary people extraordinary. It's what's in their hearts. It's that choice they make to be who God needs them to be. Then they go from common, ordinary to extraordinary. If a person wants to be a person God can use, he can be that person. He can be who God needs him to be. Now here is the good news. God uses common people common, ordinary people who are obedient. He uses committed people, committed people to overcoming obstacles and opposition. But to do that, they have to be courageous. They have to be courageous in the, in the face of risks, and they have to accept the results. That's what courageous folks do. And those are the characteristics we can have. Now, we may have to make a few adjustments. We may have to make a few adjustments in this life. In fact, we may have to make a lot of adjustments in this life. If you aren't a Christian, you have to become one, right? We understand that. We have to be obedient to the gospel plan of salvation. That's courageous. That takes courage to do that. Accepting Jesus for who He is, we call that belief. It takes courage to turn one's life around and, and repent of sins and, and not participate in those things anymore. We know that is repentance. It takes a lot of courage to confess that we believe Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God who lived, who died, and who rose again. There are a lot of the chief Jews believed that, but they would not confess because they were cowards. They were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogues and they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We may have to have to make a few adjustments because we have to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins so that we can go to heaven and, and be forgiven. That takes courage to stand up against a popular, popular belief and say that's not necessary. But we have the ability to do all of that. Notice what Peter called Christians. He said Christians are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 2, 9. It takes courage to come in out of the dark. Sin lives in the dark. doesn't want to be seen. takes courage to come out of the dark. takes courage to admit when one's wrong. To come back and ask God for forgiveness. That's what the Christian has to do. takes courage to do that. You'd think Christians have all the courage in the world. Well, sometimes we falter a little bit. We need encouragement. We need to come forward when it's time to come forward. Ask God to forgive us if it's of a public nature. And we always have to be willing to go before His throne of grace and mercy, asking Him to forgive us when there's sin in our lives, even if it's private. If you want to be that person today, answer this Lord's invitation as we stand and as we sing.